The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. are a visionary. You have a vision. You just need to create it and bring it to life. Welcome to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with your host, Kate Ebner. Our program will be an hour of inspiration from leaders who are making their visions happen and will set you on the path to having a big impact through your leadership and the life you really want. Now here's your host, Kate Ebner. Good morning and welcome once again to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. I'm Kate Ebner and on this show you know that we talk a lot about the future and how to create a vision of the future we want and then of course how to make that real. And I'm very fortunate today that my guest is someone with so much experience working with the future in a variety of contexts and she's going to introduce us to um, I, I think some really wonderful uh, new thinking about how the future emerges. You may not be familiar with um, the concept of emergence, but my guest, Dr. Betty Sue Flowers, is going to help us understand how it is that things come about in the world. So, Betty Sue, thank you for being here today. Thank you, Kate. It's a delight. Well, we have um, so much to talk about, and you know, I, I want to give a taste to our listeners, Betty Sue, of your your background, um, which is hard to kind of capture in a paragraph. But you have a, a wonderfully um, impressive and diverse background as a writer, an editor, an international business consultant, working on um, vision development and also change. Um, you have published in a range of topics, including two books of poetry. You've um, done four television tie-in books with Bill Moyers. You were also the series consultant for the PBS television series, Joseph Campbell and the Power of Myth. And until 2009, I understand that you served as the director of the Johnson Presidential Library and Museum and as a professor of English and creative writing at the Honors Program of the University of Texas at Austin. You know, your most recent publications include Presence, Human Purpose, and The Field of the Future. This is one of my favorite books. Um, Also, The American Dream and the Economic Myth and The Partnership Principle, New Forms of Governance in the 21st Century. Um, You've edited many books and publications. I think of you as a master convener, Betty Sue, who brings together and participates in some of the most enlightening and potentially um, game-changing and life-changing conversations that are happening in our times. And so it's hard to, it's hard for our, for me to translate all of what you've been doing into something that will make sense to our listeners who are <laughs> taking all that in. But I wanted to just start with a simple question of, of um, letting you do that. So can you talk about some of your past experience, particularly around envisioning the future, and just, just give us a taste of the kinds of things you've, you've done? Well, let me start where it started for me, and this is very personal. Um, when I was a small child, I would notice that something would happen and my mother would respond one way and my father another, quite, quite different. Children are always trying to figure out what is reality 
And so it was confusing to me. Why, why is this thing that happened good or bad? Uh, because there were two different reactions. And it came to me after much thought, the kind of thought a child does, which is a combination of observing, being in the moment, and thinking. Um, I concluded that it, it wasn't reality that created these experiences that were different, but the stories that my mother and father were telling about reality. And I began to notice at a really young age that people experienced not reality, but their stories about what this meant. And then it came to me some years later, and this is one of the reasons I got into English, um, which studies stories, English literature, mm-hmm. that we could tell better stories about reality. If, it was a, if, if we, our experience is really based on stories, and we have some power over those stories. We don't have power over the facts, over the things that happen, but we have ultimate power as individuals over the story we tell about what's happening. So this isn't about ignoring objective reality, if you want to call it that, but learning how to tell better stories and recognizing the debilitating stories that are being told both individually and culturally. So that's how my journey began and why I got into the whole arena of mythology and cultural stories and scenarios, which are stories about the future that corporations tell um, in order to test their strategies against differing futures. And there's a lot more to say about that, but um, that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> well, that's very, very helpful. Thank you. You know, I, I think you and I talked a little bit about this, but, you know, one of the reasons that we started this radio show in the first place was because of a realization that um, we often inherit a future that is somebody else's uh, story, not our own, that we actually often in, in, in tell ourselves stories about the future that are frightening and even, you know, often apocalyptic kinds of stories. And so the question that I had a few years ago was, you know, what would it take to really help people see the story that they're living in and then create a story of a future that they could really be excited about, really care about, and that would maybe help us all to live more harmoniously and, and sustainably um, on, on our planet. So the idea of our radio show is actually to uh, connect people with their own power as storytellers and to really invite um, our listeners to begin to t- to tell the story of the future that they really want. And so, you know, I'm listening to what you're saying and thinking um, how wonderful your insight was at such a young age and how important it is to to step back and see these stories. You know, you've been a scenario writer for Shell, and I'm wondering, as you have done that kind of corporate scenario storytelling, how do these scenarios of the future help us in the present? Can you just describe a little bit of that? Well, on the corporate level, um, as I said, they test, uh, corporations test their strategies against, say, two or three um, mutually exclusive stories of the future. They all have to be equally valid and believable, otherwise they don't work, because what you don't want to have happen is to someone to choose a story and say, that's going to happen. Because one thing we know about the future is, we don't know it. That's the only thing that's certain about the future. We don't know what's going to happen. So, better to think of different things that might happen that are important, and then see what would our current strategy, how would it work with that future, how it would work with this other future. 
So that's part of the use of scenarios within corporations. Now, I've also been involved with a lot of multi-stakeholder scenario building, Um, the most recent one being last year with the Organization of American States on the future of the drugs problem in the Americas. So in that regard, there were 42 people we met in Panama from all over the hemisphere and from very differing opinions, uh, with holding very differing opinions. And we came up with four different possible stories of the future within which to to, uh, stand as citizens and say, if this were the future, what would that mean for us? Or if this other story were the future, what would that mean for us? So these scenarios are used in lots of different ways by, by different groups. And sometimes they open up ways of thinking that you wouldn't have uh, ordinarily just if you just went along doing what we normally do, which is projecting the past into the future. We just always think that the future is just going to be an extension of the past, which, of course, it never is. Hmm, so true. And, and in the example you just gave of the work you did last year, I'm curious to just hear what happened. You know, so four stories, and we use the phrase at Nebo, it sounds like you use something very similar, if not identical, which is this idea of standing in the future. So once the stories of the future is told, you can stand in it, so to speak, imagine that this is the way it now is, and what is it like, and what does it mean to us? What did, what did the group learn from that? Well, one of the things that this scenario process did, I believe, and many do, is to allow a different kind of conversation to take place. Um, Up to now, the international conversations about drugs have mostly been within the framework of the international war on drugs and the international protocols and international treaties that have been signed about them. So we were stuck um, because we couldn't have conversation that would um, help us think about other ways of viewing the whole problem. For example, at the moment, it is viewed internationally, and I'm, I'm speaking in a very big shorthand here, um, it's viewed as a kind of a police problem. Um, what if you viewed it as a health problem, an international health problem? Maybe it would be under the World Health Organization. So there are just lots of different ways to view the problem, different frames to see it from, and we haven't had those conversations until now when the OAS is taking this these scenarios around the world at the various drugs, international drugs meetings and having different sorts of conversations. So that's really the purpose of these multi-stakeholder scenarios is to change the nature of the conversation and to allow some things to emerge, to use that word, mm-hmm. that we haven't um, talked about before. And it's safer. It's safer to talk about a fiction than it is to talk about uh, what you project as the future because after all, it is just a fiction, and you don't have to stand behind it. That's true. I, I think I think that what I, one thing that I really see in working with the stories of the future is exactly what you just said. Sort of um, what it, what emerges from those conversations, what possibilities um, come to life as a result of allowing ourselves to um, step out of you know present moment thinking, and often. You know, when we're working in the present, I notice people tend to bring, they bring, you know, realities, problems, challenges, you know, all of those are real. But when we shift over to talking and thinking about the future, we can kind of leapfrog to a different outcome, to a different destination and and 
and in, in a way, yeah, think in fresh, um, creative things about the same problem that actually sometimes really make the current state um, less of a block than it previously was perceived to be. Do you see that? I mean, is, is, uh, I'm curious about how the present challenge, in this case, let's just say the drug uh, challenge, can, can be, um, I, I don't know, reinvented through the conversation about the future. Well, I, I think the present is always shaped by the story we're telling about the future. So um, I often do workshops on using the future to create the present. Because the future never comes, of course. But with the story we tell about what we expect to happen has everything to do with what the present moment is. So if you think that um, if you're in a room and you think that the next person who comes into the room is going to be a blessing to the people in the room, you will look at that person in a different way from if you think that the next person who comes in is going to be a curse, so to speak. I used to have these fun experiments with my class. If there was someone coming in late to class, and I would just say, okay, the next person who comes in is going to be an angel. And sure enough, the person would come in, people would laugh because it would always be the least likely student to be an angel. Mm-hmm. And the person would sit down, and sometime during the course of the conversation, he or she, not knowing what the, <laughs> what the predicted future was, would say something, and people would listen to it in a different way. And uh, at some point, they would say something that would apply in an almost uncanny way that would make everyone laugh. So I just say that because it's what we're expecting that provides a frame over what we experience. And sometimes that's a, that really is debilitating, especially to relationships. All marriages mm-hmm. start out, or most marriages in the West, I should say, start out with two people in love. Um, and they uh, never expect to part and then um, somewhere along the line, expectations they didn't even know they had aren't met. What they think the future is doesn't happen in the present. Uh, so everything about their experience changes. Well, this is very uh, provocative and, and juicy way for us to start our hour. We're going to take a break right now. And when we come back, um, Betty Sue, I'm hoping we can pick right up where we left off and maybe go even more deeply into understanding how how the future, the present, and even the past are related. This is Kate Ebner. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life, and we'll be right back. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com. 
Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Good morning and welcome back once again to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. This is Kate Ebner and I'm so pleased to have Dr. Betty Sue Flowers with me on the show today. Betty Sue is a published poet, a professor emeritus of English at the University of Texas, the former director of the Lyndon Baines Johnson Library and Museum. She's a writer, a deep thinker, and so much more. She's convened and participated in conversations on topics with some of the world's greatest minds and I'm so pleased to have her with me today discussing how to envision our emerging future, how to understand perhaps the visioning of our emerging future. Uh, right before we took a break, um, Betty Sue, you, we were talking about the relationship of the future and our expectations of the future to the present time, and you were giving the great example of, um, you know, when couples get married and, and their expectations at that point and, and sort of how they evolve over time. And I just wanted to go back to that as a starting point for this next um, conversation and, and have you say a little bit more about um, how, this, how, how story changes experience, if you can. Usually with relationships, especially intimate ones, there are stories going uh, that we've inherited from a young age, from our parents, about what something should be, what a what an intimate relationship should be, or what what it is to raise a child, and we don't even know we hold these stories until someone begins doing something uh, out of a different story, and then there's a disconnect that is troubling um, because human beings like to have their stories of reality supported by other people. It's one reason there have been so many religious wars. In the past, um, you might ask, why should it matter that I believe what you believe? But um, it's typical for human beings to want people around them to agree with the way they're seeing what's happening. Mm-hmm. So this, this, um, these stories shape us. They shape our experiences. And uh, when there are great cultural changes, the story of reality has changed. All visionary leaders, it seems to me, are living out of a story of the future that becomes so palpable to people, to other people, that then the stories come true, whether it's Martin Luther King saying, I have a dream, and articulating that dream so that most people in the United States, black, white, 
agree with that dream, agree that that future should be the present, and then they work to close that gap. That's, um, that's typical of how change happens. The new story becomes so common sense reality to most people that the disjunct between the current reality and um, the story of what the real reality is, the new reality, that gap just has to be closed. Can you say a, a bit about um, the story of the past and, and how the way we talk about our past plays into how our future emerges? And I'm specifically, just to be a little bit more specific about that, you know, I, th- I think that um, I was recently working with a, a law firm and we were doing um, some work on vision. And we actually started with the founding story of the firm. And it turned out that most people in the room didn't know that story, had never heard it. And yet it was incredibly powerful and inspiring what these, who these founders were and what they did and what it meant for the firm going forward. The fact that people didn't know that founding story made them startled and kind of proud and, and a little bit like, uh, almost like we didn't know who we were and now we do and that changes everything and I would love just your take on that you know how does how does the story of the past connect with the pre- story of the, the future and the present well some these founding stories can be very enabling by doing exactly what you said um, telling us who we are and change happens not just because of what you see as a better future, but of what you see as a better you are the real you. Um, so it's a, a change in being, not just to do something differently, but being. And sometimes that change in being can come about because of a story from the past. Other times, um, when the future changes the present, the story of the past changes too. That is, it becomes a different, It's, a, it's even the same um, facts are read in different ways. So this, that's why there are historians who never run out of material. Um, <laughs> we, we rewrite history all the time, over and over again. So um, I, rem- I remember uh, a futurist saying the reason that he, he was a futurist and not a historian is that history changed too fast. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I think there's something uh, to that. But uh, So we're talking about two different things here. One is the story of being that can enable you to go into a different future. And the other is the story of what's happened in the past and what it means that's continually under revision. Say more about that distinction, the story of being and, and, the, and the, the story of, of what's happened and what it means. And what, what's the story, what does the story of being offer us? Um, it offers us expanded capacity. Um, let me give an example. I, I often, uh, in workshops, uh, have people there break up into twos and tell the story of their life briefly to the other partner. First is a hero story, and then is a victim story, using the same facts. And it's often the case that um, using the same facts, uh, you, can, you can tell one or another uh, victim and hero are states of being. Um, hard times come to the hero, and whatever happens, it's, it's a triumph, it's an overcoming, even if it's a failure. Hard times happen to a victim, and they have no agency. It's passive voice rather than active. This thing happened to me. So um, the way you are being ends up 
changing the agency and the story. It's very subtle, but quite obvious once you test it out. Wonderful. Thank you for that. That's very, very much clarifying. And I think for those of you who are listening, you know, what is the relevance of what we're talking about? You know, I, I think from where I'm sitting this morning, it's it's really understanding how powerful the stories we tell are in terms of uh, what we believe has happened, what we believe is happening, and what we believe will happen next. And so how do these things play with each other? And so, you know, you, you may be thinking, my life is the way it is. There's not much I can do. You know, I think this understanding can really um, open up new possibilities for you. And uh, Betty Sue, what would you say to a listener who's who's taking this in and grappling with how to get from where they are to where they really want to go? I think the first most important thing to do is to listen to the story that you tell uh, every day about what's going on. Uh, We have a constant uh, radio show going on in our minds in which there's a narrator narrating our lives. Um, You can see that sometimes people talking to themselves or not talking to themselves, but they're they're not present, and you know they're thinking of something else and making a judgment about it. That, That is to say, telling a story about it. Um, so to listen to yourself, um, the story you're telling. I live in New York City and often uh, have occasion to go to restaurants, uh, sometimes lunch by myself in some places, and I, without even listening to what people are saying, it's easy to tell if they're telling a victim story because there's a certain, uh, you might even say, the music of it, the, the narrative quality of it is, is uh, clear even when you can't hear the words. There's a complaint going. So just being aware of what is the story you're telling about what's going on in your life now. That, that's the first, the first, I guess you could say, step. The second mm-hmm. one being, do you like that story? Is that story helping you? Do you like being in that story? Would you rather change the drama uh, that you're in to a different plot? Because you can. And uh, without without any of the conditions of your life having to change. Although, I tell you, once you change a story, the conditions of your life will change. Um, But here comes a a little uh, caveat that I'd like to stick in here because the idea that you can say, um, I am rich, I am rich, and suddenly you're rich, uh, it's not as simple as that. You change this because there's always a built-in detector that we have that says, oh, no, you're not rich. <laughs> so that, that, doesn't, that doesn't work in that way. But if you change the story about who you are and what you're up to, um, keeping the facts true, different things will come at you, which might have been there all along, but you would never have noticed. Mm, I, lo- I mean, I think this is a very important set of distinctions and an invitation that you're really giving people. And, you know, I, I, I often find myself as a leadership coach asking people I'm working with, you know, what kind of leadership is needed now and what would you need to do to be the leader who's needed now or, or for this future, depending on how, what we're talking about. And it, it's such a wonderful uh, conversation to be having because, I think it's it's a question that moves people into imagining themselves providing whatever it is that would be most helpful to the situation that uh, the organization or the team is facing, and it it shifts them out of this is the way it is and 
you know, I have no choices into really seeing that there's a way to, to choose your way of being that actually can make a real difference. Is that the kind of thing you mean? Yes, but also what happens is if you, if you expand yourself, that is not your ego, but your capacity to be egoless so that you're, you expand, and here we're getting into the realm of emergence, um, the kind of leadership that is needed, you can see where it already is, not only in yourself, but in your company. Well, this is a great point, and I think it's actually um, a perfect place for us to stop for our second break, but it puts emergence right on the table, and that's what we want to talk about when we come back. I hope you'll stay with us. This is Kate Ebner. I'm talking with Dr. Betty Sue Flowers today. Please stick with us. We'll be right back. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Hello again. This is Kate, and I'm talking today to my distinguished guest, Betty Sue Flowers, about how um, emergence works, how emergence works as part of creating the future. And just before the break, Betty Sue, we were talking about um, this, this sort of um, uh, shifts that are possible by using story in different ways. The story of the, your story, same facts, tell it as a hero. Story, same facts, tell it as a victim. And just understanding the, 
how the lens we're looking through can actually shape uh, what happens next. And I wanted to go to the point that you made right before the break, which was that we were really beginning to talk about emergence. Tell us, what is emergence? What do you mean? Well, I use the word in a way to mean um, the future as it comes into being, which at that point is very delicate, um, like any new thing coming up through the ground or birth. When a group, now I'm thinking in terms of companies and leadership, when a group of leaders can leave their egos at the door and come together and almost feel into, it's not, it's not an analytical exercise, it's a, it comes from depths of observation that we don't even know we're making. When we can feel together without our egos, or think together, or come and vision together, something comes up that hadn't been there before. That is a very, um, I guess you could say, practical use of emergence. It's a difficult state to reach because usually by the time you've come up with other people in your corporate team, there are habits of being with each other that are very difficult to break. Humans like the comfort of the predictable. And the one thing about these groups meeting to dream the future is it's not predictable. <laughs> so this is, the, this is the key issue of emergence. Let me give a couple of examples, one from a group and one from an individual. I was once doing scenarios with our local public television station in Texas uh, about the future of our station, and uh, we came up with two different scenarios. One involved the future of the station as an educational, going back to roots as an educational enterprise, and the other saw the station as a public square, which is a term that National PBS later picked up. And as we were dreaming together, this was the board doing these, um, as we were dreaming together about the public square, what emerged was the new leader that we needed would not be a public television specialist, which is usually what you do. You hire a manager from a, another station slightly larger than yours. Um, what we would need was not a television person, but someone knew about, who knew about community building. That is an emergent understanding that would never have come about had these people not broken the old story, sat in a scenario of a new story, released their egos and preordained opinions, and dreamed together. So we ended up hiring a manager who had been a chief of staff for a governor, knew nothing about television, but the station was transformed and uh, began getting prizes as the top in its market, uh, national prizes, even in education. So um, I just, that's just one example of, on a small scale of a, of a scenario project and a group of leaders willing to get into a state where they could imagine a different future emerging. Yes, you know, and, and uh, the opportunity to sort of leave ego at the door and to bring... I don't know, your uniqueness, your, your giftedness, your, your faith in uh, yourself and others in the room. Without that ego, it, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful experience to be a part of something like that. And I loved what you said a minute ago about how the emergence is fragile, a delicate in the beginning, like something coming up out of the ground. And, you know, 
I wonder how do how do you recognize an emergence when it's starting to come? You know, and and I'm thinking of that from the perspective, um, Betty Sue, of how do you not not squash it? You know, how how do you let it come? Well, once again, we're back to the issue of being. This is a this is a. <laughs> it sounds a little circular, I guess it is. But um, if I gave the example of the individual, um, I, I once met a young man at a at a restaurant who uh, told an extraordinary story. He he had always wanted to have a twenty four hour art school for adolescents, which I think is a kind of impossible dream. At least that's how I heard it. Because what what adolescent is going to be spend twenty four hours in an art school, and what parent is going to let them? And he was a social worker, but that was his dream. His state of being was such that when he was asked, do you want to, as a social worker, be in charge of a home for wayward boys out in West Texas for a summer, he said yes because he saw that as the possibility for a 24-hour art school. <laughs> and in fact, he turned it into that. They painted the sidewalks. There was less breakage. There were, le- there were fewer incidents. The behavior of the boys really, really improved because it became a 24-hour-a-day art school. Now, in no way in my being um, could I have heard an invitation to uh, head up a, a school for wayward boys as an opportunity to have a 24-hour-a-day art school. But as he, because of the way he was being, he saw the future emerging from wherever he was. And that's what I mean about executives sitting together or an executive wanting new leadership and being in that space um, of emergence, being able to see where the leadership he or she needs already exists, not only in themselves, but in the world around them. And, and it's and, and a part of that, to, to, I'm going to sort of throw this in and see if you would agree, it reminds me of um, the work of Lynn Twist and others around the sufficiency principle, you know, the idea of noticing what's already present, noticing what you have, rather than focusing all energies on what you don't have. And, and sort of, t- it's, it's from my perspective in, in the work that I do, it's really about allowing yourself to express the future that you really, the possibility you really want, but then also to, rather than sort of see yourself as in a deficit between where I am and where I want to be, to actually then turn back and look at what do we have? What do we already have right in front of us that begins to be a part of that? Um, do you think that's part of how an emergence can happen? Absolutely. Um, I think appreciative inquiry is part of that toolkit too. And um, where you can appreciate what what is, um, um, and, by, and by talking with people, draw it out. Um, there's also a way in which you can acknowledge the capacity that someone else has which may not even be part of his or her job description, but which, when acknowledged, becomes part of the way forward. It's, it's very interesting. Typically, we think in terms of roles. Well, we need someone who can handle finance. We need someone who can handle this new project. We need. Uh, what about the someone who can handle the love part of this? What about the someone who could handle the fun and joy part? Hmm. You know, when we were talking before um, before the call about what we might talk about today, we had a conversation about 
the emerging future, you know, this this time in the world's history and the future that's uh, wanting to emerge at this time. And I wanted to ask you, you know, what do you see? What do you think is the the emergence that's that's going on today? Huge question. Well, again, most people of a certain age will see doom and gloom and they see things being destroyed, but it's harder, the older you get it, the harder it is to see the new, beautiful things being born. But I think anyone who works with the future really can see that it's there are beautiful things being born. I love the interactivity of all the connectedness that the Internet has made possible. And for the first time, really, we are together on this one Earth and know it. Most people know it. We haven't yet got our act together to do things about it. But this knowledge, which has always been the case and never known among humankind, is incredibly enlightening, potentially. So I, I see um, emerging a consciousness of the interconnectedness of all life that has always been there. And this is a deeply spiritual age, from that perspective, that we're moving into. And, and we... We talked briefly about this millennial generation who, you know, the largest generation ever, um, they're sort of coming of age at a time when um, human experience, technology, a global perspective, um, real challenges uh, for f- not only for the, for the human race on our planet, but actually for life on Earth uh, sustained over time. These are the kinds of, of big question marks that this generation is is coming of age to, to deal with you know they'll be the generation that's leading and and managing through this and you know in my work i've often heard criti- criticism of this generation you know sort of a a common uh, complaint is oh they not loyal to a job you know not not um thinking of career in the same way not as committed you know seem to be all about what they want you know so on versus versus what the system wants from them and yet as i've really thought about and worked with this not only not only the the research about this generation but actually people in this group what i see is is a passionate um group of of individuals who understand almost at the intuitive level how to how to connect and how to be connected and how to solve problems together and these are just some of the traits that i see and i'm curious if you have any thoughts about how the millennial generation may be part of this emergence oh yes i think they're the best generation yet i really do and I think um, their <laughs> lack of commitment, I put this in quotation marks, to, to their jobs, um, are, that's a, actually a very good step in our evolution. I, I think if we can move from the idea of the drudgery of jobs to the idea of work, that each individual has work to do in this world. And some of it we get paid for and sometimes not. Um, I, th- I think that that movement of the, sometimes it's called work-life balance, but I would call it bringing all of you, all of your life into work and your work into your life. These boundaries, these silos, uh, whether gender, race, job versus home, all of these boundaries are, are being, uh, we're, the millennials are starting to see them as the artificial structures they've always been, really. 
Well, thank you for that comment. We're going to take our final break right now. Um, as you all know, I'm speaking with Dr. Betty Sue Flowers, and we're really exploring this topic of, of emergence and how it happens. We'll be right back. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com. Hi, I'm Ed Krell, CEO of Destination Maternity. We proudly support the March of Dimes work to reduce the rate of premature birth. The numbers have gone down in the past five years, but still, nearly half a million babies are born too soon in the United States each year. We're helping the March of Dimes fund cutting-edge research and community programs to help more moms have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. Visit MarchofDimes.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Welcome back once again. This is Kate Ebner. I'm talking with Betty Sue Flowers, and we're in the final part of our conversation today. This has been such a treat from my perspective, and we've we've um, touched on some things that are profoundly important. And Betty Sue, I, I really appreciate this the clarity with which you describe these um, important and, and potentially complex ideas we've been talking about. I want to go um, in our in our last segment. Really want to. Th- um, reflect on what this all means for people who might be listening. So, so far we've really talked about the story we're in, the power of story, and how that can actually change not only the the future, but actually the present and the past. We've also talked about emergence, really understanding how emergence happens and, and, the, and the relationship between story and emergence. And... Um, we put that into sort of a 21st century context. Um, I'm, I would love to ask you, um, as, as, we, as we step back from the conversation we're having, um, what do you hope people are really hearing in this hour? I hope they're hearing how much power they really do have to change their lives, that we really have much more power than we think we have because we have the power of narrative. 
even if we don't have the power to change all the circumstances in our lives, we have the power to tell our story about it. But the other thing I, I hope they understand is how very precious what they have to give to the world is because it's unique. Um, you remember the old story of the rabbi who went to heaven and, and uh, uh, God didn't ask him, why weren't you Mo- Moses? <laughs> he asked him, why weren't you Rabbi X? So th- there's, an, there's an issue here um, which is very connected to what we're talking about, about bringing your whole self to work. But mm-hmm. a lot of people don't even bring their whole selves to their lives, um, not to mention work. So I would hope that um, those who don't feel entirely whole um, or beloved could learn ways of developing that self-love, which is not out of the ego, but out of a, what's called ontological just being. And sometimes one can practice a meditation of feeling beloved, and you don't have to believe in a God that loves you or any external being that loves you, but just the existential feeling of being beloved. Because the whole self of your unique self is something the world really needs. And imagine if the whole world were full of the full uniqueness of individual cells. What a splendid symphony that would be. I don't think mm. I worry about the planet so much. Mm, that's wonderful. You know, I know you've written quite a lot about this this idea of kind of um, personal cultivation or becoming holy yourself, truly yourself, and you, as you said earlier, bringing the real you. And so, to me, it, it's it's a, a real invitation to people to um, to trust who you are and to allow yourself to get to know that and and bring yourself fully into the workplace, into the all of your life, into your marriage, to use that metaphor that you used earlier. Um, what do you think it does? What happens when somebody is able to do this, to really, to really be fully and wholly themselves? Uh, what happens? Magic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the word magic. <laughs> yeah. And that's a subject for another whole conversation because... Uh, The technical term, I suppose, is synchronicity, uh, which um, Jung defined as an a-causal connecting principle. Uh, Magic starts to happen. I I don't know any other way to describe it. Uh, You get phone calls out of the blue. Um, It's just hard to even begin talking about that because Mm -hmm. um, it's totally unexpected. And people often say, well, what can I do? And I always say, well, you may not know what to do, but you can always take the next step. And if you can't see the next step, you're not cutting the steps into small enough steps. You always know what to do next. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like what you just said. If you don't know what to, to, to do, you're not cutting the steps into small enough steps. Sometimes the smallest step can be the opener can actually show you something new, can just keep you, get you moving a little bit. It doesn't have to be huge leaps. Um, that's what I'm hearing you say. Yes, it, yes, it's so important. You don't have to have the plan to save the world as your next step. Yes, and I've often noticed in, in the work that I do that sometimes small projects turn into big game-changing, world-changing initiatives, but they they often just start at the level of, Gee, I'd really like to have a 24-hour 
art school for teenagers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? yes, and you know, one reason that these small, you could call them pilot projects, sometimes succeed where others' uh, big dreams fail at first is that they're under the radar and they don't scare people. Hmm. So um, don't be afraid of taking the next step just because you can't imagine how you're going to do the whole thing. You know, one thing that you're, you're calling for us to do is to uh, give ourselves the, the space, the, the, the commitment to doing this sort of inner work of finding the, the, finding the courage or the strength or maybe the sense of humor to bring ourselves fully forward, maybe to not take ourselves so seriously that we are hiding parts of ourselves, to actually just relax and bring, bring our gifts, bring our perspective forward. And you talked in the beginning of our hour about story and the story we're in, the story we're telling. Um, any advice for people about how to begin the process of really connecting with, you know, who am I and what do I have to bring my real self? Can you, is it story a piece of that? It is. It is. Um, I think that, that self-analysis of whatever you uh, meditation helps bring things in, uh, paying attention to your dreams. Uh, I wouldn't expect it all to be sweetness and light, but um, as meditation or whatever practice you're doing brings up the shadow side of yourself, um, you can see it and learn how to see it without judging it. You see it and you acknowledge it, um, but you don't try to, to um, hide it or bury it. But as you become more aware, it becomes less powerful. Mm-hmm. And this is this this lens that you're talking about is one that allows the fullness of being human. In other words, it's not about your perfect self; it's about your whole self. How you it's know. never about perfection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> never. <laughs> I, I do know that. You know, uh, and, don't and, wait for that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's so that's the 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 loving yourself, forgiving yourself, blessing yourself, staying in touch with with all of you, not getting um, shut down around what's what's hard or uncomfortable um you know as we're as we're talking about this um i want to go back finally in our last minutes here to to this idea of emergence and you know so much of what you talk about in the book presence um is about you know first letting go then being sort of in the space of really not knowing and then an emergence starts to happen. Something starts to come, and you're letting that come. And you referred in our hour to the emergence as this delicate thing, this delicate um, happening that starts to occur. And, you know, I, I think we want to zoom into the goals and getting things done. My own experience is that when we're, we have to sometimes go slower and let the emergence take shape rather than drive it. And, and I'd love to just hear a comment on that. It's like dancing, you know. Um, it's like waltzing or anything else. The, uh, the partners together listen to each other and move together, and life does that with you too. You, you find your destiny by dancing with it. Hmm. Well, that is a beautiful quote, and we're going to have to end our hour, Betty Sue, but I want to say thank you. This has just been enlightening and enriching and a whole lot of fun to talk with you this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Kate. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. We sincerely hope you've enjoyed hearing from leaders who are using vision to create an inspiring future. 
Please join host Kate Ebner for another edition of Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business Channel. Meanwhile, visit www.nebocompany.com for more tips on bringing your own vision to life. Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com.